Hey, welcome back, everybody, to Dentistry Unmasked. I am Dr. David Rice, and I'm hanging out with my partner in crime, as usual. Hey, I'm Pam Ragliano Muniz. I'm thrilled to be with you today, David. I'm extra thrilled to be here today. We have two amazing guests, and I'm going to say friends beyond colleagues in our industry who have a lot of information. And we've been given permission to throw hot potatoes today. So <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready too. This is a topic that is like near and dear because I'm super mad about it. So I definitely want to get some advice from you guys. So Trent Watrous, Carolyn Galbraith, welcome. I'm so thrilled to have you guys today. We're excited to be here. Thank Good to see both that. of you. So today we're talking accountant and financial planner and why can't they seem to get it together and give us the same message. David, tell us a little about your experience. My experience as a young dentist honestly, is I would sit down with my accountant and get one piece of advice and think, oh, that makes perfect sense. Let's do it. And then, you know, two hours later, sit down with the, my financial planner and they would give me 180 degree opposite advice. So as a young dentist, I'm like, who am I supposed to listen to? Why are we fighting? And aren't I the client here? So what do we do about that? I don't know, Caroline, like, as you look at it, like from your perspective as a financial planner, like, how do we manage this? So being a financial planner in the dental industry is extremely unique because I'm working with doctors, highly educated, skilled healthcare providers, but not only are you doctors, you are business owners. And this is extremely unique for, um, you know, the majority of the population. So understanding how the practice incorporates with the personal. Um, that's where the CPA comes in place for the practice, but then also for the financial planner, the personal side of building wealth. What I want to do is put you on the fast track. So if you're going to Disney World and you're in the long line and you're looping and looping and you know you're going to one goal, getting on that roller coaster, it's just going to take you a while to get there. As a planner, we put out very strategic goals, understanding your personal, you know, what, what do you want to accomplish? Paying down debt, um, owning the practice, buying that second vacation home, whatever it is. I want to put you on the fast track to get on that ride. Um, so just really putting together a plan that's very efficient. And at the end of the day, it is for you to keep more money in your pocket so you can build more wealth over time. So Trent, how do you balance that with um, keeping as much money from Uncle Sam as possible? Because I'm guessing many accountants like that strategy. Well, all right, y'all, we, we just got to come clean on the accounting profession. For some reason, we have just one thing at times hung up in our minds, and that's, I just got to save you on taxes. Well, Caroline's over here getting to plan all the fun stuff and develop the financial plan while the CPA sits over here and says, well, I got to be a stick in the mud. I'm just going to minimize, you know, what you spend. I'm going to hoard, help, help you hoard cash. And so there's almost like a competing force. She's saying invest it. And I'm saying, no, keep it in the account. And, and of course, I like to give you these tax day surprises. I'm, I'm sure... David, Pam, y'all have been there and you get those moments where it's somebody hasn't communicated. My job is help you create cash flow, 
help you minimize taxes so that Caroline can do her job. So there are some competing, you know, she wants to spend it. I want to hoard it. Um, I'd like for you to spend it to save on taxes. She wants you to invest it. So it's, it's a back and forth. My job is to account for the taxes and the cash flow. She does the fund investment side. So I think a love language of most dentists is kind of how we approach our patients and treatment planning. You kind of figure out where your end goal is, and then you mm -hmm. figure out how you're going to get there. And you do that via a plan and working with colleagues and doing these things. Now, I'm going to share a little personal tidbit of a lot of annoyance. And pretty much every quarter, I get an email from my accountant. I see his name pop up. And I swear it's like getting a jack-in-the-box in the mail that you don't want. Like you're like, okay, what are we going to get this email? And I get like slammed with these taxes. And sometimes it's expected. Other times it's a complete shock. Sometimes I have no notice and I just have to like pony up all this money. And I don't understand why we can't just have a plan and like, and have this something so that it's not a shock to us as dentists. And why is there such a different message from the financial planner and the accountant when you're trying to get to a certain end point? Like, why is that? Great question. <clears throat> let's, let's back up just a minute. If you've got your financial planner and you've got your CPA at two different firms, Pam, chances are they're not talking. Does that make sense? In other words, yeah. they each see their role but they never spend time communicating and talking about, all right, what's going on with our common client, Pam. So when the accountant calls you on a quarterly basis, he or she is just thinking about what's due on taxes and what's your quarterly payment versus what Caroline is saying. But I thought you said you would have this much cash set aside to do an investment or to fund your 401k, whatever the case may be. I'm going to kind of criticize my own profession here, Pam, to answer your question. I don't understand why CPAs call with a surprise. We as CPAs know all the numbers. So us being able to communicate at the beginning of the year should be a pretty easy process. Here's what you need to set aside. There should be no surprises. I think it's a matter of is your CPA and is your financial planner minded towards being strategic or just reactive? And if you've got just reactive, you're gonna get those tax day surprises. So if you can plan ahead, which CPAs ought to know all the numbers, then we shouldn't be calling you with a surprise. That 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 should never happen. Does that make so sense? It does. And I love that concept, Trent. And, and I'll tell you, you know, anecdotally, when we built our, our, our last uh, building, my, my partner and I, we surprised the entire team. So we had the builder, we had the contractor, all the subs, and we invited them all in. We didn't tell anyone they were all going to come hang out with each other. And then we were all in one room. And then we one by one introduced everybody to everybody. But to your point, it's probably a whole lot easier to get our team under one roof. So Ooh. we know there's accountability being passed back yeah. and forth from planner to CPA and from our global financial team to us. So, you know, how do we how do we identify the right team? What are, what are ways to look for and say, ah, I yeah. know I'm in the right hands versus, you know, somebody just feeding us a line. Caroline, you want to jump in first and then I'll. Sure. sure. Um, for me, it, it really does take true collaboration. You need your team to communicate, not just twice a year. It's throughout the year 
we need to understand on the personal side of things, what's going on in the business. Are you going to take a lot of expense deductions this year? Will your tax bracket come down a bit? Can we do a Roth conversion on the personal side? What is going on? Are you making, you know, more income this year? If so, can we plan for that? So just that ongoing conversation and integrated approach with your investment team, your financial planner, and your CPA, business and personal CPA, all those people really need to come together so that the owner can benefit. I'm going to, I'm going to say from my side, I see a, a kind of a three-legged stool, the client, the financial planner, and the CPA. And for a moment, the client kind of that, that leg of the stool steps away. And at the beginning of the year, Carol and I will talk about our clients. Okay, what's Dr. Pam going to do this year? She feels like her income is going to be up. Caroline can go ahead and put the plan together for investment. I can go ahead and put the plan together for taxes. Then we pull that leg of the stool back together and we start talking. A big, a big part of picking the right team is will the CPA be willing to talk to the financial planner? Will the financial planner be willing to talk to the CPA? And then will the two of them make the time to get together with the client. If you know on the front end that those two won't talk, you don't have the right team. They've got to talk. And you can't wait till the train leaves the station and then say, well, it's just not my fault. It is your fault. If you're the CPA and you don't pick up the phone and call the financial planner and then call your client. One thing that Carolina and I do believe heavily in is constant communication with clients. We've got to call you, David. We've got to call you, Pam. You don't need to initiate the call. We need to have something set where we tell you your own target, everything's going well. There just shouldn't be surprises if we've built our plans together. So collaboration, communication, and then an ongoing communication pattern is key. It's, it just You just can't go without. How often is ongoing? So I've had conversations with financial planners and they're like, well, I'll talk to you whenever you want. Some people need to talk monthly. Some people are cool with quarterly, but like what's the right cadence to have this conversation? I think easily a, a quarterly conversation, but again, that conversation should incorporate your CPA team. We all really need to understand what is happening throughout the year. Are you doing a build out for the practice? You, are you taking on an associate? Is your personal cash flow going to change throughout the year? Is there a loss somewhere on the personal side that we, you know, need to offset? There are a lot of in, into, um, um, details that we all need to come together and understand. And when someone's coming on board with our firm and I'm meeting with them as a prospect, I go ahead and open the door with, if you're married, do you want to just visit with your client once a year, your spouse on April 15th? That's not the way a marriage works. You're always talking. And if if you're going to have a healthy relationship with your financial planner, healthy relationship with your CPA, and you're only wanting to meet once a year, then you're not for our firm. It's got I to like be. I like that. Oh, go ahead, sir, Trent. Sorry. Well, I was going to say, we can't wait till we get engaged and we're one year in and they're like, I just want to meet once a year. Then I'm not your guy. Just, just kind of move on. I'll find you somebody else. We've got to have a set cadence. Some folks, Pam, they want to meet quarterly. Some folks like a phone call monthly. Some folks, we just meet twice a year because why? We're really good email communicators. We always know what's going on. But when we get together, that's a really, you know, two, three, four hour meeting of conversation because maybe they travel into our office to meet with us then. Or maybe I'm, I'm on the road and we meet when I'm in their town. 
but there's got to be that set pattern. It just, it just has to be. And we shift gears just a little bit. Pam, is that cool? Shift away. Yay. All right. Plan. Young dentist, two to five years out strategically, I'm guessing you two would handle that person differently than somebody who's 10 years out versus somebody who's seven years or less away from transitioning their practice. Can we talk strategy and maybe start with our youngsters? I'm, I'm just getting out into this career. How do I, how do I have this balance between my, my fast track to my Disney ride and, um, you know, putting food on my table while keeping that, that, that fast track in mind? I'll take it. All right. (laughs) So I love this question because it is so daunting to come out of school and have maybe half a million dollars in debt. And you know, you'll have a successful career, but you're digging yourself out of somewhat of a debt hole, right? So um, I'll just provide an example and it's so inspiring. I just love it. But recently have worked with a young female dentist Um, she was looking at her first contract out of residency, sends us the contract, we're reviewing, we're looking at how, you know, her production, what that looks like for her. And she says, Caroline, in the next five years, I want to figure out how to pay my student loans, move to South Florida, buy a practice and start my family. And I said, okay, here we go. Um, and now we've, we've found out she's expecting, but um, we, we put her on a really disciplined financial plan because we know she's married. She and her spouse are thinking about this together. So again, collaborating with your partner, um, making sure everyone's on the same page as far as what they want in their life and in the career path, but they're very disciplined. And, you know, we've got, we're looking at every dollar, what's coming in, what we're paying down, what we're saving. And we know that this is going to be one of those really successful situations, but everyone can do it. Again, it's just, you know, understanding what you want and then putting to get together a very personalized path so that you can accomplish those goals. And again, you know, having those student loans may feel like you're just, you know, dragging along, but this, you know, picking this career is one of the best things that you could ever do. And so, you know, we, we know that we can help you whether you're starting or whether you're at the end. How about like act like, so clearly paying attention to every dollar matters. That's great. But like, like top three things, like I have to do as a young dentist that might be different than if I'm mid-career and might be different if I'm where I am. (laughs) Sure. Sure. So for a young dentist must do, if you're not participating in that practice retirement plan, maybe they don't have one set up, you must, must at the very least contribute the maximum amount to a Roth IRA. That is extremely important for any young person, but I know young dentists, they they are making um, a, a nice salary. 
So I would say that's number one. Number two, we would look at that student debt and we scrutinize all of it. So if you've got a couple different structures of, of that debt, we're looking at the interest rates on each, you know, what that looks like over time um, and putting a percentage of your income into that to help pay that off. But um, thirdly, you know, working with the, the tax advisor, um, are you a W-2 employee? Are you a 1099 contracted employee? There are different um, strategies depending on how you're employed. Trent, I, what would you add to that? I would add to that from, from my side as, the, as more tax-minded. I want that young man, young lady to understand how do they earn money and how do they keep it? In other words, do they understand how the taxes are accrued, they're incurred, when they're going to be paid, everything about their own numbers? I just want them to break down that math. So I'm not, I don't want them to understand fully how the watch is made, but I definitely want them to know how to tell time. Just the basics of cash in, cash out. A lot of, a lot of folks have never been in that mindset. So a, a, third, a good 30-minute conversation of here's the way taxes work. So there is, there's not a surprise there. I want to make sure they've got an emergency fund. We see too many young people that just don't have an emergency fund and they use credit cards. And that is a, that's a tough way to start out a career because you're always going to be behind if that's the way you use cash. Again, helping them understand. And then the last thing is, where do you want to be? Because once I know you're what you're going to earn, what you're going to pay in taxes, what you can save, then Caroline can pick up and run with it and get that plan together. So know how it works, have you an emergency fund, get you a plan in place. Love it. What would you say, or say for like the middle career, you know, 10 years out, 15 years out, what are the best tax saving strategies? And for a practice owner, are you a huge fan of the 401k profit share, that kind of thing? Or are there other strategies out there? From a tax minimization standpoint, um, I only like 401ks on weekdays and weekends. Other than that, you know, I'm not a big fan. <laughs> Um, and the reason why I say that is this, we'll have people say, well, I want to be super aggressive. I don't want to do a 401k. And you're thinking, well, since that's the most legit thing you can do, let's start there. So number one thing would be in your middle years, and I'm going to call that maybe 34 to age 50, roughly. You want to make sure that you're deducting. You got a good set of books. If you don't have a good set of books, you don't know what you're deducting. Two, you are investing in equipment. It's not just about the Section 179 write-off of the equipment. I want you to focus on the top line. If you buy the right equipment, a laser, CAD-CAM milling, uh, cone beam technology, the ROI on the top line is so high, you're going to get your money back. So want to help them understand it's more than Section 179, create the top line, you get a healthier bottom line. Then you're going to start looking at ways to maybe put your kids on a payroll. Maybe your spouse is on the payroll. Why? You're going to get that deduction. You're going to get money put in so that Caroline can invest it. I would say those are the three things that I, I constantly go around. And then I look at the person. What can we do here? What can we do there? And that's where it gets unique. But I'm definitely an advocate from a tax perspective. If you don't have a 401k, it's a head scratcher. A couple things. Typically, you know, between the ages of 30 and 50, you may be starting a family. So, you know, on the personal side, as you're building your income, you may have more expenses. The children are here now starting up that college savings plan, um, you know, letting that grow 
automatically investing into that is extremely helpful for you in the long term. And also, I would say you may consider if you're a practice owner, you may start considering, should I buy the real estate for my practice? Now, there is a lot that goes into that question. You need to work with a real estate uh, professional in your area because, you know, you want to make sure that development makes sense with the local community, but it could be very advantageous for you, especially one day, you know, when you do decide to exit the practice, will you sell the building? Will you keep the building and continue to collect the rent as part of your income during retirement? So um, getting together, you know, with your personal planner and your CPA to see can I make this happen? Tell me, you know, give me some strategies on how I can make this happen for, you know, whatever those go goals are. I want to jump back in just a minute. And I want to ask you all a question from your side. As a young, having been a young dentist, if I could create one trait in a young dentist from their first job forward is every month you're going to set money aside. It may be a hundred bucks and then you get a raise and it's 200 bucks. Because by the time you're in that group of, say, 35 to 50, and you're already in the habit of setting aside X number of dollars, and it's gone up as your income has gone up, you are setting that long runway for success. What's the mindset of young dentists that just say, I'm just not going to do that? Help us understand that a little bit. I think there's pressure from young dentists to automatically come off as successful. I think social mm -hmm. media plays a role. And I think that there's a lot of pressure from your colleagues and competition from your, say, even your classmates to kind of set this, this tone of, well, I'm a doctor now, and now I can buy X or I should be able to buy X. And I think that we inherently put a lot of pressure on ourselves to kind of present a package that may or may not be what is real. That is it. That's interesting. From our side, truly, if I could create one trait where the financial planner and the CPA can help with success, it would be helping that young person start from day one, get that habit in place. You're always saving money. It doesn't have to be hundred percent of your paycheck. If you learn to do hundred dollars, trust me, once you're in that habit, you'll learn to do, you'll learn to do 200 before long, you'll do 300. We have folks that'll put away five to $7,000 a month. It's just been a habit because they did it when they were young. I, I get excited about that. I wish we could create more folks who get into that routine because it leads to practice ownership. They've got the money to buy. I'm, I'm going to throw out a name to everybody, like non-dental person who gave me this advice years and years ago to this very point. His name is Jeffrey Hazlett. So for all of you who don't know him, Google Jeffrey Hazlett. He is a CEO to all the CEOs. He, he runs a C-suite business. You have to make a million dollars a year to sit at the table with Jeffrey. Just a great guy though. Normal guy. Yeah. Amazing guy. And, you know, he asked me a long time ago, um, would you rather uh, have wealth or fame, which is, I think, to your point, Pam, where young dentists get hung up because the first thing they go to is mm -hmm. fame. I need to show the world whether I have it or I don't. I need to show them fame. And, you know, with the big smirk on his face, because, you know, I'm a young guy thinking like, oh, maybe fame would be good. He's like wealth. I promise you when you develop wealth, you will be famous because people will want to know how you did it. So if you're young, boy, if you're just getting started or you're 50, don't worry about impressing everybody else. Impress your bank account, impress your financial team. And you know what? The rest will fall in, into line. 
Great words right there. Great words. You mentioned something earlier, Trent, that I just want to touch upon. You mentioned the bookkeeper. How important is the bookkeeper? What's the great attributes we should be looking for in a bookkeeper? And what is your advice for dental practice owners who maybe enlist their office manager or somebody within the practice to take care of their books? You know, um, I'm not against having somebody inside the practice take care of the books. I think it's great to have some segregation of duties and roles because if they're making the deposits and they're writing the checks and they're keeping the books, somebody might say, hey, that's setting up for fraud. Having been a forensic investigator, I will tell you, I look at it the other side, you're putting their personal character at risk because if there's something wrong, an allegation could occur. I prefer to see a bookkeeper outside the practice. I think it makes sense. So when you're choosing to select one, you're looking for someone who's familiar with your industry. So they know, you know, they know what the Patterson bill is. They understand that there's different items on there. They're familiar with what disbursements you're going to make. They're good at payroll or there's a good payroll service. They know how to communicate. When I tell folks to go pick a CPA, if I'm talking to a group of students, for instance, and they say, well, how do I pick a CPA? I want you to go have coffee with them because it's kind of like a first date. If it's so awkward, you're thinking, I just got to get out of here. The relationship ain't going to get any better. So go pick a bookkeeper that you can talk to and they can explain what they do for you. If they can tell you, here's what I'm going to do for you each month. I'm going to take this off your plate. I'm going to help you grow. Then you're starting to get that right bookkeeper versus someone who, who just doesn't understand. So I think it's communication, skill set, knowledge of the industry. Excellent. Well, I don't know about you, Pam, but I learned some things today. <laughs> I learned some things today, but you guys leave me wanting more. <laughs> mm -hmm. More so. hot potatoes. Yes, mm. most definitely. And I think that there's a, um, definitely more topics that we could touch upon, especially um, when it comes to generating wealth and you know, making a plan for yourself that's going to actually work. I guess I just have one, one quick final question. We talked about young, we talked about mid-career. Now I'm thinking about transitioning out, which I'm guessing the two of you would agree. It takes a little longer than we might think. What are the top three things like quickly that, that I need to do if I'm looking to move on to the retirement phase of life? Number one, have you met with your financial planner and do you have a plan? It saddens us when, we, when we're talking to someone about transitioning and they're not sure whether or not they can fund their own retirement. Number two, know the value of your practice. If you're not getting your practice valued every one to three years, that's probably the largest asset in your portfolio. Why are you not valuing what's the largest asset in your portfolio? Number three, do a mock sale. In other words, have somebody look at your practice and give you the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats so that you know how a sale would go down. And you know what? If you've got like a two, three, four-year runway, take those weaknesses and turn them into strengths. Then you get your max dollar so that it'll build into your financial plan and you'll get the max out of the sale. And I'm going to say 100% agree with Trent. But if you do have that runway, you know, two to five years before you're planning to sell your practice, and you find that maybe it's not valued as much as you thought it was, you have time to make it more efficient, more profitable. You may have to invest in the interior decor. You may have to invest in the software, in the equipment, because these younger dentists coming out, they're used to using modern, best quality technology and equipment. 
So you need to make your practice not only uh, profitable for that new owner, but also um, exciting, inviting, something that they want to purchase. Very similar to, you know, a homeowner looking to buy a home. Do they want to buy a fixer-upper or something that they can just walk into and, you know, enjoy? That's great advice. Uh, I think to your point, young dentists want turnkey. They don't want to come in and rip out shag carpets and do all the updating, even if they got a really good deal that's over. They're already overwhelmed. They don't need more overwhelm. So Pam, final thoughts? No, I just want to thank you both so much for your time and your insight and your expertise. You've definitely given us a lot to think about, especially when it comes to selecting our financial team. So thanks. I'm so excited about this and I can't wait to see you guys again. We appreciate being here. Thank you for the opportunity. And I want to throw in one other statement in thinking about your financial planner. If you're a listener, you're thinking about your CPA. If you're five or six years into a relationship and you've never seen the two of them in the same room, does that raise a question? Y'all have a great day. Thanks, guys. Mike Take care. Dry. Thank you. All right, everybody, for Dentistry Unmasked, I'm Pam Maragliano-Munez with my friend, buddy, partner in crime, Dr. David Rice. We'd like to thank Aprio, our sponsor for this episode, and we will see you all next time. Thank you, everyone, for watching or listening to the show this week. And thanks to our guests and sponsors on this episode. Please check out our social media at Dr. Pamela underscore Miragliano and at Dental Economics Official. Or you can check me out at Ignite DDS or at Dr. David Rice. And go to dentaleconomics.com to receive dental economics. You can choose to receive DE in print or digitally, and you can also get the details of our Principles of Practice Management Conference on our website. If you have topics or guests or anything you'd like to talk about on the show, send us an email to dentistryunmaskedpodcast at gmail.com, and we will do our very best to make it happen. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.